You're listening to the EU Mentorship Stories from the Western Balkans podcast. This podcast is brought to you by the European Liberal Forum, the Boris Divkovic Foundation and D66 International. We do hope you enjoy it. Uh, welcome to EU Mentorship Podcast. My name is Adish Kalic and I'm going to host it. Uh, today we will have a chance to talk about a remarkable country uh, located on the eastern shores of Black Sea, Georgia, or, or as natives call it, Sakatvela. Uh, this country is a sort of a bridge or a boundary, as you wish, between Europe and Asia. It's a country with a population of almost 4 million, of which a third lives in the capital, Tbilisi. It's a country with turbulent past and promising future. We will learn more about contemporary Georgia from our guest, George Melashvili, founder and chairman of Europe Georgia Institute, uh, or as we call it, EGI. EGI is a civil society organization uh, in Georgia, in Tbilisi, aiming to advance democracy, uh, human rights, also rule of law and free market, and also empower a new generation of political and uh, social leaders in Georgia. And to give them strength to find a solution of that solutions that are essential for Georgia's development and for successful successful common future for the Caucasus. Uh, Georgia, Georgia as a country has come a long and turning way since the restoration of its independence. It is evident that this country with occasional ob- obstacles, of course, has a sure path to progress. What are the most important effects of the biggest milestones that have occurred in modern Georgia, uh, especially 1991 referendum of, on the restitution of Georgia's independence, also Rose Revolution that occurred in 2003, and uh, the most recent, but not the least, uh, the 2012 Georgian parliamentary elections, Georgia. Thank you, Adi, for outlining the really most important dates of Georgia's modern history. Let's start with 1991, which was a continuation of 1989, when a huge demonstration was held in Georgia's capital, Tbilisi, as an answer to the so-called Lichni gathering, which was facilitated by Russia's security services and was aiming to split the country into several parts. Obviously, this idea to split Georgia into several countries or several parts or whatever it should be under the Soviet Union was definitely not welcome in Georgia's capital, Tbilisi, and it caused huge demonstrations in Georgia's capital. These demonstrations were entirely peaceful. There was absolutely no demands for violence or no willingness for violence or no attempts for violence. And eventually, this demonstration ended up being eliminated by the Soviet troops, by tanks and militaries, causing hundreds of injuries and several dozens of people who unfortunately uh, became victims of, of this terrible dissemination, as the Soviet Union called it. Of course, uh, this act of violence from the Soviet Union uh, was unacceptable for Georgia, 
And eventually, it ended up with strengthening Georgia's national movement, the movement that was fighting for Georgia's independence from the Soviet Union. Eventually, the first president of Georgia, Riyadhan Sahurdia, managed to declare country's independence, so Georgia became again independent for the second time in the 20th century. The first attempt to create independent Georgia, which was a unique republic of its time, ended up in three years since the beginning of this very interesting experiment, with again Russian troops occupying most of the country. And the government of the first Georgias, of Georgia's first republic, was forced to flee. They became government in exile in Paris, France, but they continued their attempts to sort of create the basis for Georgia's future independence. Now, unfortunately, 1991 had little connection with Georgia's first independence, but it was definitely a very important milestone for the country, because since Soviet occupation in 1921, Georgia finally was able to start building our own country. These attempts of nation building were largely undermined by the existing Russian military force, as well as other remnants of the Soviet Empire in Georgia, including hard-powered military bases that were located in Tbilisi. So eventually, when there was the first political crisis, uh, when the opponents of Ruyat and Sahurdia uh, attempted a military coup d'etat, they received um, sufficient amounts of military ammunition from the warehouses of Russian military bases located close to Tbilisi or in the capital city itself. Um, the end of Georgia's first president was very unfortunate. Um, following the coup d'etat, uh, he escaped Georgia, but then he returned, and soon uh, he was either murdered or he com committed suicide in one of distant villages in West Georgia. Following this unfortunate uh, development, there was a military council consisting of three men. None of them had any sort of legitimacy. They were not elected. They were not representing any sorts of groups of society. Those were just three military men who had the power to control the region. But eventually, economic collapse, which followed um, the fall of Buyat and Sahurdia forced them to look for a person whose visibility and credibility in the West, as well as in Moscow, would be higher than their own. So they tried to find a person who would have some credibility with other countries and who would be eventually able to start building diplomatic relations. Because nobody wanted to either talk or to negotiate anything with those three persons. Eventually, uh, the former Soviet foreign minister, Eduard Chavarnadze, one of the persons who is responsible for the destruction and demolition of the Berlin Wall, uh, who was an ethnic Georgian, returned to Tbilisi and became uh, the second president of Georgia. Um, his rule is interesting as much as it created the foundation for Georgia's Western aspirations. For example, in 1999, Istanbul OSCE summit, we finally uh, declared Georgia's Western aspirations. And also, not long before that, he even stated that Georgia might eventually join NATO. 
which for a country with several Russian military bases, and I'm not talking about the occupied territories, which is another very long discussion, was almost insane. Eventually, Shevardnadze's rule was also characterized with lots of corruption, um, nepotism, and overall inability of Eduard Shevardnadze to implement the long-desired reforms that were necessary for country's development and obviously for the Western future as well. So very soon, uh, compared to the historical developments, we had the Rose Revolution, a revolution led by young people, most of whom were Western educated, idealistic, and wanted for George and wanted to ensure European future for Georgia. This is how uh, eventually Saakashvili, Nurjanadze, and Joania came to power. This triumvirate that created the foundation for Georgia's uh, well-being and economic development that we saw in the future periods of time. The first years of the new regime, which was the Rose Revolution's government, was one of the most interesting periods of Georgia's history in terms of modernization, reforms, and other democratic achievements, because they were able to transform a highly corrupt regime, highly corrupt institutions, and in many cases, entire lack of institutions, into the basis of a modern Georgian state. Just to give you an illustration, Georgia's police, traffic police, was one of the most corrupt in the entire Soviet Union. It was legendary how corrupt they were. So one of the first decisions of the new government was to entirely eliminate traffic police and to start building this institution from scratch. So now we do not have traffic police anymore. We have patrol police, which is doing almost the same objectives, but there is absolutely no corruption among those officers now. This is one of the examples. Second example is economic reform. Georgia has traditionally been a very bad example of extractive institutions. Shevardnadze was trying to put the members of his family in power of the main economic arteries of the country. His uh, close relatives, friends, or affiliated people were owning almost all businesses in the country. Uh, the country was extremely regulated, which made it almost impossible for any investors or new businessmen to come to market and create something new. So one of the first achievements and decisions of the new government was total deregulation of Georgian economics and also fight against um, chronic capitalist firms created by the government and utilizing most of the support from the government. Uh, unfortunately, starting from 2007, so approximately four years after the old revolution, we had a situation when the reformers government was becoming much more conservative. They were trying to grab and maintain as much power as possible. And the primate of the rule of law, as well as human rights, became much, much less important. So following the years of reforms that created the foundation of modern Georgia, we also had the years of an attempt of regime building which eventually ended up in 2012 with a new power led by Bezina Ivanishvili coming um, to power in Georgia. 
2012 elections are also very important because for the first time in Georgia's history, we were able to change the government, not by civil war, not by revolution, but by civilized, decent elections. So it was the first time in Georgia's history when we had uh, the civil transfer of power, which was really important, and which is up until now one of the most important milestones of Georgia's democratic development. Starting since 2012, we've also had some problems with democratic development because the ruling party, which had very loud and interesting promises, also started to grasp for power. Instead of implementing reforms that would ensure country's democratic development, they also started to teach to the institutions that were created by the previous regime in attempts to maintain its power. For example, the judiciary has always been a problem in the country, and there have always been calls for reform, for a deep and comprehensive reform in the judiciary, to make it truly independent, to remove um, the control of the executive branch of government, and also to ensure that the judiciary is truly independent as it should be. Uh, both the Rose Revolution government, as well as the government of the Georgian dream, failed in, in, in reforming the judiciary, because it is always really hard for any government to give away the institution that is the most powerful and can ensure your dominance, as well as total control on the opponents. Um, another example of this problematic development is Georgia's Western courts. Vast majority of Georgians, approximately 80%, if we look at different polls, fully or mostly support Georgia's Western integration. For a country whose territories are occupied by Russian Federation, it is absolutely understandable and obviously uh, a very realistic approach to foreign policy. Besides it, Georgia has always considered itself as a European country, which unfortunately, due to circumstances, was torn apart from the European environment and European space. So this decision and Georgia's willingness to join both EU and NATO is based both on ideological idea of belongingness to the European space and also on a very rational development that European space is the only space where we can ensure our proper development. And also eventually, maybe in the future, ensure the deoccupation of Georgia's territories that are being held by Russia right now. Uh, the problem with the Georgian dream is that they tried a different approach to foreign policy, which they called non-irritation policy. According to this policy, Georgia should not bother Russia or the West with its own issues, but we should keep, uh, we should be as careful as possible, and also we should not irritate our big northern neighbors. Uh, this policy has not proven to be extremely effective or efficient, because Russia is continuing so-called creeping occupation when they are moving the occupation line deeper into Georgian territory, day by day. One day it is 50 meters, second day it is 100 meters, and so on and so on. So they're 
creepingly moving deeper into Georgian territory, which is a violation of Medvedev Faculty Agreement and also all sorts of international laws that can be imagined. But that's what they're doing. So that's why Georgia's decision and aspirations to move towards the West is pretty much understandable, because first of all, we consider that we are European. We're one of the most ancient European nations that we belong, and we definitely belong to the European space. And on the other hand, we definitely have very much to offer to Europe as well. One of the most important strategic long-term decisions by Shavadnadze, for example, was the decision to create a pipeline that would connect Central Asian countries, as well as Azerbaijan, to European markets, thus increasing Europe's energy independence and created the very basis of a future Black Sea security. So that's the main milestones of Georgia's modern history, and we can continue talking about one of them, or all of them specifically, if you wish to add. Thank you very much, George. It was a brief but very concrete uh, reflection on a, on a contemporary history or modern history of Georgia. Uh, I can, uh, I can uh, see m- many similarities to the Western Balkan uh, regarding some... Uh, uh, political culture of, especially of political parties that have been uh, in power for a longer, longer time. Now let's talk about the current uh, political situation in um, in Georgia. As of now, uh, Georgia is classified as very high on the Human Development Index. Economic reforms since independence in uh, 1991 have led to higher levels of economic freedom and ease of doing business, as well as reduction in uh, corruption indicators, poverty and uh, unemployment. Uh, Georgia is one of the first countries in this region uh, that decriminalized cannabis. Also, Georgia has an independent human rights public defender, which is interesting, and he or she is elected by the parliament of Georgia. So it's obvious that the progressive forces have the support, as you already mentioned, uh, of the Georgian citizens and the public. Do you think that this trend will continue? Well, it's always hard to say about trends in the Caucasus because situation here changes very rapidly. As we have already mentioned, Georgia has had a very long and interesting past. Uh, indeed, corruption is reduced extremely right now, especially if you are dealing with basic business and not high-level business. Um, the human rights are being protected, but we always have backslides, especially from far-right, alt-right groups that are also enjoying their freedom of expression, but at the same time, um, they're utilizing it in a very bad manner. So, for example, if they are spreading hate speech, they're trying to create the mainstreamization of pro-Russian narratives in the Georgian society, and overall, they're trying to bring the country back into the past that we have finally been able to crumble out. At the same time, as you have mentioned, we indeed have institutional development. The Ombudsman's institution is a very strong one right now. And the Ombudsman right now, Nino Lomjare, is doing an extremely good job. She's able to maintain neutrality 
which is very, very important right now because Georgia's political system right now can be characterized as a bipolar system with the United National Movement, with Georgia's second pres- uh, with Georgia's third president, Mikhail Saakashvili, as its chair, and also the coalition of Georgian Green, led by Vidina Ivanishvili, Georgia's shadowy ruler, who officially does not have any political positions, but in reality, he is the man in charge of, of the country. So that's why it is slightly problematic to keep neutrality in such bipartisan and bipolar environment. But at the same time, it is crucially important to continue building institutions. The most important challenge to Georgia right now is the judiciary. Uh, creation of independent judiciary will be the most important achievement of the Georgian state since the Rose Revolution. Because as soon as the judiciary is independent, it means that we will have space for proper political development. There will be ability to go to court and to, to showcase the problems that we have right now, and also to get independent judgment, which is very problematic right now. That's why um, the main trend, I think, as well as the most important thing for all opposition parties, as well as country development, will be the judiciary reform that will probably continue. Um, I'm a strong believer that there will definitely be positive changes in this, because as you have already mentioned, our history demonstrates that progress, institution, and even nation building is possible. Um, and judiciary is definitely one of the most important milestones that we will be able to achieve in this sense. Uh, your question was also about the political system, so I will try to briefly describe our political system right now as well. Um, we have many parties, <laughs> approximately three or four hundred, if we look into the registry, but the absolute majority of these parties are non-existent or just remnants since 1990. Right now, we have approximately 10 parties that can be mentioned as important or tangible, or at least that should be worth mentioning. Uh, let's begin with two biggest. It is the Georgian Dream, which is right now in power. It is the United National Movement, which is the party of Georgia's third president, Mikhail Saakashvili. Uh, and also several smaller, lesser parties. For example, the Free Democrats, the Republicans, and Strategy Ahmachanebeli. These three parties can be characterized as liberal. Two of them are ALDA members. We also have um, LELO, which is also liberal-leaning party, which was created by Georgian businessmen and creators of Georgia's largest bank, CBC. Uh, we also have pro-Russian parties, approximately three of them. Uh, it is the Alliance of Patriots, it is uh, the Democratic Georgia, and it is the recently created, sort of a new child to Georgian politics, the conservative movement, which was created by a hate speech and technically a hate group, uh, which, who grew into a party from a Facebook group. Um, so these are the main parties, and also there is a new party created by former MP Elena Khoshtaria called DROA. These are the main parties that are playing role in Georgian politics. Besides them, there is also the Libertarian Party, Yirchi, which is a very interesting case of a party because they are the most creative party in the country. And even though their electoral support is not very high, they demonstrated really good results in the capital city. 
Um, so these are the political parties that we have. I wonder if I forgot anything from your question, Happy. <laughs> Uh, I wouldn't dare to stop you because uh, it's very interesting because you're you have uh, almost every uh, every political ideology in your spectrum in your parliamentarian uh, political party parties. It's very interesting, and uh, I wish that everybody who is uh, interested in uh, in Georgia uh, could uh, after after this podcast could educate themselves even more because there is uh, so much things to learn, especially about uh, contemporary. Georgia regarding political system, political uh, parties. Uh, well, let's uh, pick something from that ideological spectrum. Let's say those three Russian political parties. Uh, and I will uh, I will ask you how much of an obstacle uh, to the continuation of these evident positive processes, uh, social processes in Georgia can be the secessionist aspirations uh, vocalized by by these, these particularly by these three political parties and the aspirations of provinces that have the covered but concrete support of external forces, uh, meaning Russia. Well, it's a little bit hard to comment on the issue because even those parties they will never dare to officially say that they want Abkhazia and Skhinwali region, the two territories occupied by Russia, not to be part of Georgia. Uh, any discussions, any mentions of this are considered as treason in the country by absolute majority of the, of the population. I would even say by all Georgians, to be honest. So no political party, if they wish to have any sense of political support in the country, will ever dare, even dare, to mention these issues from Russia's perspective. However, these parties um, always blame the West and Georgia's government for supporting the West, but they are not able to negotiate properly with Russia. So the positions they take are radical, that we should find some solutions, that would be mutually beneficial to Russia and the West, etc. Well, to be honest, they always remind me of a British Prime Minister Chamberlain who decided to give everything what the then Germany's leader wanted, and eventually it resulted in absolutely nothing for Britain or for other countries. It resulted in the World War II. So this policy of giving everything to the aggressor without your own ability to protect yourself is is very stupid and unacceptable. That's why these parties actually do not have that much support. Uh, their electoral base is mostly people who are nostalgic of the Soviet Union or people who share their visions on issues not connected to Russia. So, for example, they hate the LGBTQ community, they hate um, Muslim community, they hate almost any uh, attempts or in the, in, they hate any they hate any indications of liberalism, etc. So these groups are always trying to build their electoral base on the alt right that we are seeing in Europe as well. But the problem is that if European forces usually are homegrown or homebred. In Georgia, most of these forces are receiving either direct or indirect influence from Russia. Those people have um, Russian consultants, they have Russian ideologists, 
and they even have some members of Russian uh, parliament supporting them. So that's why um, we usually use the term useful idiots regarding such groups, because they are fully supportive of Russia's policies without acknowledging or knowing that they are supporting them. So that's why um, when we're talking about these groups, we always need to identify which of them specifically are we talking about. For example, we have the groups that are simply nostalgic for the Soviet Union. When, you know, they were younger, they could do all the stuff they wanted. The grass was greener in general. We have another group of younger people who are um, subjects of mostly anti-Western propaganda, which is coming from Russia, that, West, that the West is on the line, the West is dying, etc. The European Union is just a bureaucratic um, Frankenstein monster, etc. So they believe in this myth. And eventually, they simply consider that Georgia should be able to find sort of a third way or third path that would be neither Europe, nor Russia, nor Turkey, nor anything else. Some sort of a Caucasian way, which would be nice. <laughs> but unfortunately, in current geopolitical situation, it is close, very close to a suicide. Um, also, it is very interesting that there, is, there are some dynamics within these groups. For example, Minobu Janadze became a pro-Russian politician only when she realized that she would not be able to get any electoral support from pro-Western groups because of her mistake. Then we had the Alliance of Patriots, which, was, which appeared somewhere around 2013 or maybe 2012, so right after the United National Movement lost the elections. Um, and they were also trying to be sort of um, a mirror example of the German Alternative für Deutschland, or uh, Marine, Le Pen's, uh, Marine Le Pen's party. So eventually we had this party that was trying to, re to create sort of a brand. And then we had also this Altinfo group, which originally was just a Facebook channel. And right now they're trying to create a political party. From these three, uh, the new group is the most vocal, and they're also trying to demonstrate as much hate speech as possible regarding minority groups, regarding liberal parties, regarding the West, and also they're trying to uh, somehow legitimize their pro-Russian aspirations by declaring them sort of more realistic approach to foreign policy than the one that most of Georgia's population had. Uh, I wasn't supposed to ask next, the next question. I didn't plan it, but I got carried away. Uh, regarding, uh, according to the census uh, from 2014 in Georgia, uh, the very majority of population is religious, and uh, almost 85% of them are members of Georgian Orthodox Church. Regarding uh, politics, does this church as a uh, religious organization get involved, and does it support some of the political electors in Georgia? Well, it's always complicated about the church, because it's uh, also not monolithic. There are different groups within it. And these different groups are supporting different political agents. 
According to the constitution of Georgia, the church and the state are separate and they should not be involved in each other's cases. In reality, uh, the church right now is the most powerful non-political actor in the country with lots of influence and lots of resources. Um, it is always hard to specifically outline their positions because uh, they, they're not directly involved in politics. But at every election, there are some specific groups that are trying to ensure support from the church. It means that politicians are trying to meet with high representatives of the of of different. Um, they, that it means that it means that political leaders are trying to meet with religious leaders. It means that they are trying to get their blessings, etc., etc. In some cases, we have uh, religious leaders who are directly preaching that they are followers should vote for this specific party, which is rather unfortunate. Um, the church also has, understandably, negative uh, attitude towards LGBTQ community, which is probably the same in majority of, of conservative cultures like Georgia. Uh, and also, we definitely can say that the church has some level of additional influence on the government because the government is trying to maintain good relations with the church to ensure their support for the next elections. Thank you again, George. And uh, uh, my last question will be a question regarding the European Union future of Georgia. Uh, the association agreement between you and Georgia entered into force in 2016. In 2017, the official EU journal published legislation allowing Georgians owning biometric passports to travel to Schengen area visa-free. On January 2021, Georgia is preparing to formally uh, started to prepare uh, to formally apply for EU membership in 2024. How do you see the continuation of cooperation, and uh, what are the main obstacles to Georgia's future within the European Union? Well, the biggest obstacle for Georgia's future within the EU is Russian Federation. <clears throat> Russia definitely doesn't want Georgia to join the EU, even more they don't want Georgia to join NATO, which, as I have already mentioned, is a civilizational choice for Georgians and supported by absolute majority of Georgia's population. Uh, the second problem is economic development. Georgia is still a developing country which means that we definitely need to work hard to increase your ability of Georgia's economics to be resilient. Um, we're quite an ambitious nation in general, so we definitely don't want to be a nation which is um, receiving all the money and all the support from the EU without giving anything back. That's not the way how we want to join. That's not the way how we will join eventually. Georgia has very specific geographic location, bridging the East and the West, Asia and Europe. Um, also, Georgia's ports are crucial for the Black Sea security, which is pretty understandable for majority of European countries because uh, a big part of European border goes on the Black Sea right now. So without, having, without Georgia, uh, it is impossible to ensure proper security developments and security protection of the perimeter of the European border. The third problem is our overall, uh, the third problem is within the EU itself. The European Union needs to properly understand what is its role in the world and how it wants to be with, 
to be viewed by us. The European Union has to understand what its role in the world is and how it wants to be viewed and perceived by others. Without this, and without this understanding, uh, it will always be complicated for the EU. The European Union will have always this uh, existential crisis of what it is and what it should be and what it ought to be. So unless all these three factors are joined together, um, it will be quite a long way for Georgia to join the EU and join the NATO as well. However, it is, I'm optimistic and I strongly believe that Georgia has a European future and will eventually join those blocks. It just means that we Georgians have to work really hard to ensure and prove to everybody that we can achieve quite a lot together with our colleagues from the associated trio, Moldova and Ukraine. Uh, thank you very much, George. It was a great interview. It was my pleasure to interview. I learned a lot, but I will continue learning about Georgia uh, willingly. Uh, it came very dark in Sarajevo in the last 40 minutes since we were here, as you, as you can see. Uh, I'm solely lighted by my laptop light, so uh, oh. thank you very much, and I hope to see you soon. We had a couple of chances to see each other in the uh, past year, but... <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah. we did yeah. Yeah, well, thank you Adi, very much for very, for very interesting questions. Thank you very much for very interesting questions. It was a great pleasure to be with you. And I hope that we will finally be able to meet in person.